Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. Uh, we are in a series right now on spiritual gifts, and um, we, we, we're sort of like we're in the middle of one big talk that was too big for one week where we've been talking about the gift of tongues uh, and what that is and what that looks like. So last week what we did was uh, we established like, our, our church's theology of that, just sort of okay, like what does the Bible actually teach when it comes to the idea of tongues and speaking in tongues and praying in tongues and all that stuff. Um, this week, what we're going to do is talk about, okay, what does that look like in the life of our church? So last week, if you're not really on the charismatic end, I probably made you uncomfortable. This week, if you are on the charismatic end, I'm probably going to make you uncomfortable. So it's going to be so fun. So um, to, to do that, um, what, what I want to do to sort of understand what, what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he writes 1 Corinthians, uh, particularly these passages on tongues, we've got to talk about the background of the book a little bit, particularly... Um, the Corinthians' life before they were Christians. It's just important to know uh, as, as we dig into his, his teaching on tongues. So the Corinthians, they are first-generation converts. They, they Before they were Christians, they were uh, pagans. They, they worshiped the, all, all kinds of different gods. Uh, Corinth, ancient Corinth, where they uh, lived uh, in the first century, was home of uh, a temple to the, the, the goddess Aphrodite, and there's all kinds of pagan worship that they were extremely involved in. And something to know about pagan worship in the first century is this. Um, there were distinctives of it that proved spirituality. So, for instance, if you were part of the worship of a god or goddess, how you would know that that god or goddess was there when you were worshiping was, like, they, they sort of viewed it as like the god or goddess would possess someone or seize them, and they might scream out loudly, they might convulse, they might fall to the floor, just sort of vocally, and they believed that loud equals spiritual. Like, this is important. Like, they believe, like, listen, if a god or goddess is there, then the way that you'll know is there'll be this sort of audible, loud demonstration. And so here's what happened. Like, they they grew up their entire life experiencing their version of church like this, but then they convert to Christ. Then they leave all of that behind them. But here's the problem. I don't know if you know this or not, okay? But when you come to Jesus, listen, does does he change your life? Absolutely. But then there's, it's almost like a U-Haul trailer that you pull with you of all this baggage that goes with you to this side of the cross. And even though they switched gods, they still didn't switch how they thought about worship. Now, this is really big, okay? Like, they, listen, they believed in the right God, but they took all this old religious baggage with them into being believers in Christ, and so consequently, when the Holy Spirit is given to them and they're, and they're practicing all these different gifts, they came to believe erroneously that the most important gift of all was the gift of tongues. And they believed that because their religious background taught them, listen, loud equals spiritual. And so listen, if I speak in tongues, I'm speaking out loud and, and they believe like the God or goddess in the past was possessing them. So now they say, listen, like, like the Holy Spirit's coming upon me and I can't help it. I've just got to like shout out and pray out loud in tongues in the worship service and, and nobody's interpreting it. But they, they, but they feel like, listen, look how good this makes me look because this is, this is what I know religion to be. And Paul comes along and he goes, listen, first of all, you guys are discriminating against each other because anybody who doesn't speak in tongues, you're, you're saying, listen, you're not as good as us. Like you're saying, listen, those who have tongues have the most superior gift, and Paul's just going to blow that out of the water. And so in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, you'll notice that what he begins to do is talk about, listen, everybody has different spiritual gifts. And because these gifts are different, you can't say, well, like, listen, because this is my gift, I'm superior and you're inferior, or because that's your gift, uh, like you're less than me or I'm more. Like you just can't do that. 
So 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 27, he says this. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So listen, everybody's part of this thing together. And then he just lists different gifts and different offices of gifts. He says, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, of helping, of guidance, and all different kinds of tongues. And now he clarifies, verse 29, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? And, and, and the answer to this question obviously is no, right? He continues, verse 3, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And then he says this line this is just so good. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I'll show you the most excellent way, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But here's the thing to understand. He's going, guys, tongues is not superior. Tongues is not the mark of if you have the Holy Spirit or not. It's not the mark of if you're in Christ or not. It's one gift among many. And by the way, tongues doesn't validate spirituality. I mean, again, we, we, like, we, we could jump forward to chapter 14. So flip over to 14. Here's what he says, just reiterating this point. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, he says, so it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church, because here's what's been happening. Okay? They, like they've, they've been going off the rails. Like they've been so obsessed with speaking in tongues, not even interpretation, just I want to I wanna sort of babble in an unknown tongue that, that nobody's benefiting. Like, like the, the, you're in a worship service that nobody understands what you're saying. And so it's not building anyone else up but you because you feel spiritual. You're having this experience, but nobody else is benefiting. And so he says, listen, verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, really, really quick, I just, I, I'm going to come back to this point a little bit, but I just, while we're in this, this particular verse, I want you to notice something, okay? I want you to notice the way he uses the phrase speak in tongues and pray in tongues interchangeably, okay? This is important, okay? Like, like notice how, like, at one moment, he's talking about speaking in tongues, and another, he's talking about praying in tongues, and to him, they seem to be the same thing, okay? Just notice that. But what's the implication? The implication is, the implication is that, listen, tongues without interpretation does not build up the church. I mean, that's the whole thing. Right? Listen, like, if you're speaking in tongues and nobody's there to interpret, stop. That, that, like, that's essentially what he's saying, because the only one who benefits is the individual. But Paul's after something here. He's after, listen, the church as a whole being built up. And right here, we begin to understand Paul's theology of gifts. Like contrasted to the Corinthians who believe, listen, if I feel spiritual, that's the most important thing. He goes, listen, that's not the most important thing at all. In fact, if you understand what makes a spiritual gift great, it's not how you feel about yourself. It's what it does for other people, which is why first point today, if you're taking notes, write this down, understand something. A gift's greatness comes from its capacity to serve others. I mean, that's a, that's a hard first Corinthians uh, 12 through 14. Like, remember, to each one, manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, right? Listen, a gift's greatness comes from its capacity to serve other people. How, like, how, how do I know like, I, I'm moving in a, in a way that the Lord uh, wants me to move with different gifts? Well, it stops being about me. And it starts being about, about like, you. Like, how do I serve you with this? Like, how does this build you up? 
Now, this is very different from how many of us think of, of, of religious experiences because we've been taught, listen, even, like, even now, we've been taught that, okay, how do I know that God was in a place? How do I know, like, okay, like if I go to a church even, okay, even, the, even now, 2,000 years later, how do I know that, like, the Lord is moving? Well, how did I feel at the end of the service, right? And what is that? Well, that's contrary to this, which says, listen, it's not about you or me at all. It's about us serving each other and serving other people with our gifts. Like, that's the greater gift. And then he continues this thought uh, as we go forward in chapter 14, because they've just completely gone off the rails. And, like, they've been so obsessed with speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues and feeling validated by doing this that they've lost sight of serving each other. And so he now, listen, he goes, guys, you don't understand the evil. Like, when you, when you, okay, you might feel good about you, but one of the things that you're doing as you speak in tongues unchecked is you're alienating your witness and you're making yourselves look like fools to the very people you're trying to reach with the gospel. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 23, he says this. He says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues. So imagine you have a religious gathering. Everybody here just starts, okay, everybody's speaking in tongues. Everybody's just blah, 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 right? Like, and everybody just starts doing it once, okay? He goes, listen, um, if everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers, people who are seekers or people who don't believe in God come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Did you know that was in the Bible? Right? Like, okay, what's implicit in this statement? Don't do that. I mean, it's right here, okay? Like, listen, like, so if you have a church gathering and everybody just starts, like, willy-nilly, like, not one at a time, but everybody's just speaking in tongues at once, what will happen is somebody who doesn't know God will walk in and they'll be like, these people are crazy. <laughs> what is Paul saying? Don't do it that way. Is Paul saying the Spirit doesn't give the gift of tongues? No, he's not saying that at all. What he's saying is there's a right way and a wrong way to Practice it. He continues. Listen, guys, if that's how you're going to do it, understand, like, if if you want to build people up, strive to do things that will, they'll be able to understand. So he contrasts tongues with the gift of prophecy. Also, uh, a working of the spirit that can't take place apart from the spirit. So he says in verse 24, but if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so... They will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. In other words, like they come in and people tell them stuff they couldn't known or have known, and it's in their language. And they go, man, this God that you're worshiping is real. And Paul goes, that's the kind of manifestation you strive after because someone else besides you benefits from it. And so he, can, he continues, verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But look at, here's the underlying principle of all of it. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That's the heart behind the practice of all gifts, that the church, all of us together are built up together as a people, not just a person. Like that's like, if we're curious, like, like how does the spirit want us to use the gifts that he gives? Like that, like that. And now what he does is he gives some practical instructions for what tongues and prophecy should look like in the local church. And so he says in verse 27, if anyone, and please hear this, this is a command in scripture. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time. Someone, or I'm saying, and someone must interpret. 
In other words, okay, like it's not unbridled chaos, like three people at most and each person one at a time. And with each one, somebody should give an interpretation. Like that's, that, that's the command right here. And if you don't have the interpretation, well, here's what we see in verse 28. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. I.e., listen, if there's no one to interpret the tongue that you want to speak in, save it for at home with God. Because the church doesn't benefit from that. You feel great. I mean, I guess I get it. Okay, I've spoken in tongues for 20 years. It feels like it's, well, like God's here with me. He's doing, praise God. But if other people don't benefit from it, it serves no one. And consequently, it misses the heart of the gifts. And I gotta tell you, this has been my experience with how our brothers and sisters, and they are our brothers and sisters, tend to practice this gift. First time I ever saw tongues in practice, before I even got the gift, um, I, I, was, I was in a religious uh, service one time, and this is huge. Like, it, was an, it was a stadium full of people. I mean, probably, I don't know, 10,000 people in the room easily, right? And, 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 the, and, the, the, and the speaker gets up on the platform, and he's a very, very charismatic person whose name I won't mention, but probably our brother in Christ. Um, and, and he gets up, and he's like, everybody, like we're sensing that the Spirit's here right now. He goes, everybody, pray in tongues right now. And just across the room, everybody, blah, 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 yeah. And that does, I mean, it sort of swells up a little bit, right? And go, wow, look, look, look what's happening in this room. And yet I would argue that practice is violating the commands of Scripture. It's actually expressly against what Paul said to do when it comes to tongues. Now, if you come from this background, here's, here's, here's the legalism that you're going to try to demonstrate now. What you're going to say is, okay, well, Bert, Paul is talking about speaking in tongues. He's not talking about praying in tongues, so it's okay if we do that there, because as long as we're just praying in tongues, we don't need interpretation, to which I would say, remember back at the beginning of chapter 14, how interchangeably he uses those terms. It's not, it's not speaking or praying in tongues. In fact, to say, right, listen, we can do this without an interpreter uh, because we're just praying, we're not speaking, we're not making a bold declaration, I would tell you undermines the entire principle of chapter 14, which is if people can't understand it, one, it makes you look crazy, and two, it doesn't benefit anyone but you stop. Like that's the heart behind chapter 14. Also, there is no such distinction between speaking and praying in tongues in the scriptures. Like that's never made anywhere. And so I think Paul's point is pretty clear. Tongues is a great gift for personal edification, like when you're off with the Lord on your own. But when it comes to the corporate gathering of believers, unless someone can interpret, you must Stop, because listen, if an, like just, like just on the practical end, this is what, remember what Paul's reasoning was. He goes, listen, if somebody who comes in who doesn't know Christ sees you doing this, they're gonna think that you're crazy. And what you'll do is you'll undermine your witness. Because, I don't know if you know this or not, most of us don't want to fall in with crazy people. <laughs> right? Like, listen, like, okay, listen, I, I've never been drawn towards something because the people who were a part of it were unstable, Okay? All right, and here's Paul going, listen, like, at the end of that, like, what you want to do is you want to proclaim the kingdom. You want to, like, bring forward the witness about Jesus' death and resurrection, that, listen, every person can know God because of what Jesus has done for them. He shed his blood. He's died in our place so that we can be made right with God, and we received this simply by faith, believing that he died for our sin and rose from the dead. And if you have a gathering of people who believe this, and the way that they're manifesting it is they're all speaking in unknown languages that nobody's interpreting, somebody's going to walk in and be like, no, no, thank you. This can't be real. Like, this is, this is just nuts, all right? Which is why, listen, okay, I know. I, please hear me, brother, sister. I know so many of us, like, we want a religious experience because it feels fun. But this is the thing I need to beg you for in light of what we're reading, which I would argue is the scriptures. 
And if you're taking notes, write this down. Don't hurt the kingdom because you want to feel spiritual. Don't do it. Don't go against, like, listen, if, if me wanting to feel spiritual gets in the way of somebody's receiving the gospel, I am in the wrong. Because it's not about me. It's not about me. And right here is where I'm going to begin to just gently rebuke today. And please know it comes from nothing but a place of love. And you go, well, Bert, Bert, like why in the world should we like create a church environment that accommodates unbelievers? And I, and I would say, well, well, number one, it's not that we take our, our, our nods of spirituality from them. But we absolutely want to be mindful because number one, Paul commanded it in, in scripture. Like, so the Lord has spoken it through him. Number two, because God loves them. Because God loves them. Like, it, like and, and by the way, like, that should be enough. It should be enough to say, listen, I don't need to feel spiritual for the sake of somebody else. But even if it's not, let, let's take it, okay, like, let's say, all right, let's say we remove the evangelistic end and the witness end, which I think is a huge deal. But let's just say we remove that for a second here. Have you thought about the fruit of what you're sowing, even within the body of Christ, when you're choosing to practice tongues in a way that does not line up with Scripture. Like, listen, how many well-meaning, sincere brothers and sisters in the Lord have written off the manifestations of the Spirit, as we see them in 1 Corinthians, because they've only ever seen somebody practice them wrongly? Like, to contra- like contrary to the Scriptures. Like, I'll give you an example right now. One of the biggest um, opponents uh, of the charismatic guests, like one of the, the loudest voices of cessationism, is a guy named John MacArthur. Right? And I mean, like, is anybody going to argue that? Like, like, MacArthur is a loud, loud, loud critic of the charismatic, and yet all of MacArthur's arguments have nothing to do with the Bible. You know why? Because there is no Bible to support his points. So, what does he do? He cites charismatic excesses. And he goes, listen, they're doing this, therefore the Holy Spirit can't be in it. Now, that's a bad logic because, listen, the whole reason Paul's writing about this is because they're doing it the wrong way. But, Listen, what would happen if we just chose to practice the gift the way the scriptures teach us to practice the gifts? Like how many like bad experiences would be alleviated if we just obeyed the word of God? Like look, can I just say this? Okay, like I got this story last week. I got this story last week of folks who, maybe like they watch online, they're here, who are like the moment, the moment I said, hey, we're, this week we're gonna be talking about speaking in tongues, immediately tuned out. Okay, because their entire experience with tongues has been really bad. And I would argue, listen, maybe you've had a bad experience with tongues as well. What are the chances your experience came from somebody practicing it in a way that did not line up with the scriptures? I mean, like, can I go down the line? Listen, maybe, like, for you, like, you were in a, you were in a place where somebody did something like where I was. Where it's like, everybody's speaking tongues. We're praying tongues now. Everybody, uh, and you're just like, what is happening? Right? And so you're scared. Or maybe how about this? Maybe you came from a background that taught you that if you didn't speak in tongues, you were inferior. You didn't have the spirit, which he's expressly rebuking in this passage. Okay, like what would happen if we just did what the Bible said to do when it came to these manifestations of the spirit? And I know right now, again, the pushback is, oh man, Bert, you're, you're stifling the spirit. 
You're going like, listen, like, I just want to be able to freely, like, you know, like, like as, as, as I, I want to be in, a, in a, a place with folks who will just let me worship as I, as I see fit and as I feel led. And, and like, so Bert, what you're doing is you're getting in the way of the Holy Spirit and how he wants to move and manifest by saying and putting up these guidelines. And I would just rebuke you with two things. Number one, I would remind you that following the Bible is not stifling the Holy Spirit. It's obedience to him. Like the same spirit who moves and empowers wrote the scriptures. He did. And and please hear that. The Lord himself has commanded that tongues be done in this way. This isn't something that I made up because I was uncomfortable with a church service. I mean, it's right there in the word, you guys. So no, I don't think obeying the guidelines that the scripture set for tongues is stifling the Holy Spirit. I think it's being obedient to him. Number two, and this is important, and this is where I'm going to really, I'm going to make it comfortable. I promise I'll back it up. Here's the thing to know. The spirit will not force you to speak in tongues. He won't. Like, listen, um, are there times where you just want to because you feel that emotionally welling up? Absolutely there are. But, This idea of sort of losing control under the empowering of the Holy Spirit does not seem to be in keeping with what the scriptures describe as the activity of the Spirit as manifest within the congregations of believers. I'm going to show you that right now. In fact, like that's sort of, okay, like the Spirit comes upon me. I can't help it. I've got to. That seems more in keeping with the the pagan worship that the Corinthians are trying to get away from than what the scriptures teach about how to worship the Lord as a body together. So look at this. Okay, as, as he's giving guidelines for order, within church, which is not contrary to the leading and movement of the Holy Spirit. He says this, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 29, two or three prophets should speak. Remember, he's talked about this, and two or at most three people should speak in tongues, and always with an interpreter, and always one at a time. Now he says prophets, okay? Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. In other words, like, okay, just because somebody says God's speaking, let's make sure and let's discern it. It's not contrary to the Holy Spirit for me to say, I'm going to pray on that. Okay, Verse 30, and if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Now, really quick, because we're like, oh, cool. So if we're in the military and I feel like I've got like a, a word from God, I can, I can like prophesy and interrupt the service. Just something to know. Uh, when the, no, he's not saying that at all, actually. Um, the way that people typically taught in church was the person who was teaching the service. This comes from rabbinic Judaism. The teacher sat. And so like, when he says, like, the revelation comes to somebody who's sitting down, he's basically saying, if a revelation comes to the person who's responsible for moving the entire service, but you've got other people popping up, they stop. This person goes. All right? Continues. Verse 31. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be incur- instructed and encouraged. And here's the 32. And please just, I don't say underline it, but maybe underline it. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So when, when you say, okay, listen, like, no, the Holy Spirit came upon me and I had to. Well, according to this, no, he didn't. Because he says, listen, like the spirits of the prophets, as they're you know, like receiving empowerment to, to utter like things from God, they have the ability to say yes or no with it. And, I, and let's just key in on that and understand like this is the same spirit when it comes to tongues. And so he says this, verse 33, and here's the underlying principle of all of it. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And was that at just some churches? No, no, no. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. 
In other words, this is true of every church of Jesus ever. God is not a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He's not a God of, oh my gosh, what's happening here right now? I don't, like, no, he's a God of peace. Peace. And so with this idea, like, like the, the Holy Spirit just came upon me, I just had to speak in tongues. I'm sorry, but no, you didn't. And you might have felt emotionally overwhelmed. You might have really, really wanted to. But no, he doesn't work that way. And I don't mean to insult your experience. I know, like, let me clarify right now, because I'm saying this, like, like some of you are like, are you calling me a liar? No, but maybe you just misunderstood something. You know, like, listen, am I, am I saying, please, please hear me, okay? Am I saying that there won't be moments where people, as they come into contact with the presence of the living God, uh, that they, that there won't be moments where they react in a dramatic fashion? I'm not saying that at all, No. I think, I think there are times, absolutely, where the, where the Lord shows up in power and, and he absolutely floors us. And you think about, like, the dedication of the temple in First uh, Kings, where, like, when they dedicate the temple to the Lord, like, uh, the glory of God fills the temple and says none of the priests could stand. They're just, like, no, like, they're so overwhelmed with the presence of God. And so am I saying that you had an experience and, and that it wasn't God? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not against passion. I'm not against emotion, okay? What I am against and what I question and go, hold on, let's just take a second here, is when that sort of dramatic like, display is your default for every time there's worship. That is to say, like, like whenever we worship, suddenly you just, I'm so overwhelmed by the presence of God. Well, are you, or, or is it a thing where, like, because we're creatures of habit, where what we do is, like, we had a God encounter one time, and so now what we try to do is mold our experience to that God encounter. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so first it's like, and we don't mean to do it. Like the heart's sincere. But you know, like, like you, were, you were at camp, right? There was worship. And, like, and, and you remember how like you weren't following God. And then on the 13th time of the repetition of that chorus, suddenly, man, you were so aware that you were in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit showed up and he confronted you and he convicted you, remember? But now the error that you make is you think, listen, okay, unless a song repeats the chorus 13 times, it means God's not in it. No, that's the thing that the Spirit used, but it wasn't him. I don't get locked into that kind of legalism. I bring this up because sometimes people, like they, they, whether it be their own past experiences, or they see people that they really respect and want to be like, and so they try to emulate what those people do under the guise of being led or filled by the Spirit. And it's fake. Like, I mean, like give me an example, like my church in Massachusetts. I love my church in Massachusetts. One of the people in my church in Massachusetts, I won't use her name out of respect, um, but she was really, really big on uh, particularly like, like Bethel Church in Anaheim. Like loved her some Bethel. I'm not, it's not a, a treatise against Bethel, okay? But like one of the things, if you ever watch services at Bethel, every now and then you'll have somebody in the back and somebody will, will just like shout out like while, while there's worship going, ho, oh, like that, right? Okay. Well, this woman saw that, and wouldn't you know it, every time the pastor made a point that she liked or the worship song, like, stirred her every, I mean, it was every Sunday, at least three or four times. Ho! Which, by the way, if you yell that while I'm preaching, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> What'd you call me? Like. <laughs> but what happened? Well, what happened was, well, this is what spiritual people do, so therefore I'm going to do that. And it ingrained into her psyche. Am I saying that, Bert, but clarify, are you telling me that, that a person's sincere expression of worship, that the Holy Spirit won't cause them to disrupt the service every Sunday? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. By the way, is that me contradicting the scriptures? No, because remember, it's not about you or me individually. It's about us as a people. 
Um, and so the question becomes, okay, well, so if we don't do, like if we don't do tongues without interpretation, what do we do? Like, because think of it this way. Like, you know, I had a lady email me not too long ago, and she was just a sweetheart. She was. And she was asking about this. And she said, you know, I'm just curious. Like, because she you know, really about tongues. And I told her a much more abbreviated version of what I've shared with you. And she goes, okay, but my question is, how will you find out if somebody has a gift of interpretation if you don't allow tongues on Sunday morning? That's a really good question, right? Because I believe to my core that Sunday morning is not practice time. I do. I think Sunday morning is dedicated to the ministry of the church for us together, and it's for the proclamation of the word and worship. That's what Sunday morning is. So what do we do? Well, I think if I'm going by the, the, the principles here, Number one, we would be remiss to be like, well, because somebody did it wrong, therefore we're never going to speak in tongues. No, like again, uh, verse 39 of the passage we've been reading says this, therefore my brothers and sisters be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So we would be wrong to be like, no thank you, no tongues ever. That would be wrong. Look at verse 40, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Remember that, that that, that command is reiterated throughout this chapter. Not an isolated verse, it's a full chunk of scripture. Okay, so what do we do? Well, I think, let, let's, let's evaluate Paul's rationale. Number one, um, don't have everybody babbling without an interpreter because unbelievers will think that you're crazy, right? Okay, so, but what happens if you're in a small gathering that's not open to unbelievers? Prayer meeting, encounter night, small group when the group feels like going in that direction. Would it be out of line? Would it be unbiblical to have a people in a, in a circle and just be like, hey, does anybody have a tongue that they, they want to uh, pray in and we'll see if, if God gives us an interpretation? No, that, that's one at a time that's in order and we're listening for the voice of the Spirit. I think that's okay because we're not talking about an open church service where unbelievers could come stumbling in. I think that's all right. Regardless, one of the things that we want to be, be careful of is to ever go, okay, well, unless, like, it's, it's, to, it's to compromise it and be like, okay, well, Okay, well, let's just go for it and we'll see if God gives an interpretation. Because the, the scriptures are pretty clear here. Listen, unless you've got the interpretation, don't do it. And listen, I, if, if you're curious, like my heart for you, like, yeah, I pray that you speak in tongues and pray in tongues on your own. If, if, that's, if that's something like that's, that you're like, God, please, would you? I, I hope he gives that to you because you have a good father who good, gives good gifts. I would tell you, <laughs> and you should just know this, I would tell you that, that whether or not you speak in tongues or a tongue does not validate your spirituality. Your spirituality has already been validated by a man named Jesus. Okay, listen to me. If you're curious whether or not God has accepted you, you will never find that validation from manifesting a spiritual gift. It will only come from the fact that there's a tomb that is empty. And this is the good news. God loves you as you are, not as like the hyper-spiritual you someday you hope exists will be. No, no, he loves you as you are. He sent his son Jesus into the world to die for your sin. And he raised him from the dead to give you new life. And you can receive that simply by asking him. So as we wrap up, like as we wrap up today, how about I just pray? And, you, and if you would say, listen, I don't know Jesus, but I'd like to, we would love to give you that opportunity. You don't earn anything from God, you just ask him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Lord, I pray for my brother or my sister who are beginning faith right now, who believe that you died for their sin, and rose from the dead. Would you let them say yes to you? Let them turn from their sin, turn from living for themselves, and turn to you. Holy Spirit, as, as they uh, 
choose to follow you, would you fill them? Would you give them a measure of your presence? Would you speak to them and let them know how treasured by you they are? In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. I'll see you guys, we'll see you next week, okay?